Sarah, do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Do you have like a movie that you watch every year to get into the spirit of the season? Not really, no. <laughs> are, are you are you a, are you like a Christmas person? Just generally, I know like a lot of people really get into like the holiday Christmas music and decorating and all that stuff. Yeah, I think Christmas is probably the holiday that I most get into and has a lot of meaningful childhood memories. And also Mannheim Steamroller is the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm also uh, well, well versed in some Steamroller. Yeah. Very good. I don't know if I've met like another person that I know that is aware of Mannheim Steamroller. So how have we not had this conversation? <laughs> yeah, that that stuff was like big in my house growing up. We also uh, we had to watch It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve every year when I was growing up. Same. Which um, not uh, not my not my speed personally. Yeah, I think most of the movie just went over my head growing up. I haven't watched it since. I like the very, very end when George Bailey gets the he opens the book from Clarence and the inscription inside says, no man is a failure who has friends. Like, that's a nice quote. And I understand, like, I understand what the movie is trying to say, right, about like being being grateful for what you have and like the difference a single person can make and like all that stuff. But I like I can't separate my own personal like uh, much more negative reading of like give up on your dreams like they don't matter. The only thing that matters about you is the service you can render to other people. <laughs> like <laughs> your happiness is unimportant. <laughs> hmm. In the context of the movie, I have no comment because it's been so long since I've even glimpsed it, but. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with the uh the idea of, you know, holding on to some of your own dreams and ambitions and, and enjoying that. Yeah, that's that's just that's the thing that bugs me about that movie. It's just like he spends his entire life just desperately, desperately wanting to get out of this town that he hates. And then like the resolution of the movie is just like, ah, but it's sure good that you stayed here and sacrificed everything for these people, right? Like, yeah, they gave him money at the end so that he doesn't go to jail because Mr. Potter, like, stole all of his money or whatever, which is just not really addressed. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's just like, yeah, everybody bails him out and that's nice. And it's good that he has friends or whatever. It also would have been nice if he could have, like, traveled at all ever or, like, if his brother hadn't completely fucked him over and, like, forced him to take over the family business for eternity instead of just for like the few years that his brother was going to go to college or like any of that could have joined his friends, uh, like extremely lucrative, uh, like plastics business and at least been like well off and still <laughs> lived in the town and like That's not the had money story. to go on vacation sometimes. But no, no, it's it's better this way. I don't think so. I can relate to needing to leave towns <laughs> not because i've committed heinous crimes and i'm being chased out but uh, <laughs> just because yeah small town people need to travel anyway we're here to talk about a good christmas movie 
We are, and that actually has some interesting parallels to what you've described in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, that's true. So we're going to be talking about Klaus, the 2019 movie on Netflix. Sarah. Oh man, it is um, a unique take on the, the Christmas Santa Claus origin story, and it takes place in like a Norway-ish village based on the real village of Smirin Smirinberg. It itself in the movie is called Smirinsberg. Not at all confusing. And uh, yeah, so you you talked about in It's a Wonderful Life how he's supposed to stay in this town and be selfless and not pursue his dreams and, you know, do good things for the, the people there, which ties in nicely to the main character of Klaus, Jesper, being just an absolute selfish little shit at the beginning <laughs> of the movie. Yes. Um, I wasn't expecting the movie to mostly be about postal work. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what gave you the impression it would be anything else. <laughs> but it really works. Jesper being the like like a, a washout at like a postal academy, I guess. And yeah, being basically sent to this small town as punishment is an interesting like setup for santa right <laughs> yeah so the the whole premise is that jesper has been spoiled his whole life and his father is the like head of the postal academy delivery system i forget what it's called and so yeah um he needs to establish a functioning post office at this town this remote remote island town within like a year i think yeah i think so was it it was 6,000 letters need to... Yes. Yeah, 6,000 letters need to be sent from the island, you know, considered successful, and then he can come home once he has established that post office and he can go back to his life of luxury. Yes. And if he fails, then he is, like, cut off from his family Summarily well. executed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, this, this is a huge motivation for him. He's pampered his whole life. You can tell because he's played by Jason Schwartzman. I've had a real hard time getting through that name. Jason Schwartzman. There we go. <laughs> um, that's how a human would say it. And uh, that dude is very good at playing like smarmy, pampered assholes. What's um? What's one I would know? Uh, to me, he will always be Gideon from Scott Pilgrim. Like that, I think, is the first thing I saw him in. And okay. it's just locked in for me. Perfect. Apparently, apparently he ad-libbed a whole bunch of his lines and like 40% of the dialogue, his dialogue that made it in, was actually written at a time. The rest was just <laughs> him <laughs> bullshitting his way through it. And <laughs> you can kind of tell while watching it, 
like just yeah. the, the zany things that come out of his mouth. <laughs> uh, the entire um, montage of him like selling, <laughs> I guess not selling, but like giving kids like paper and quills and stuff like so that they can send letters to Klaus framed as though he were like a predatory drug dealer yeah. uh, is extremely good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great montage. What What did you think of Smearinsburg when he first got there? He's traveled across the land and has arrived by Fairy Island. I I wasn't expecting... I was expecting a very stereotypical, like, run-down little garbage town where people are angry and hateful, much like the beautiful Midwestern villages in which I spent my youth. Mm. Um, but, uh, uh, um, which, like, it is that. Uh, I wasn't expecting the added layer of, like, also there's, like, two families total and they hate each other. <laughs> yes yeah and just the just the comedic imagery as we're introduced to this town <laughs> like two old ladies carrying a a wrapped up dead body and yeah <laughs> from one house to the next and like children stabbing things with both knives and carrots um yeah <laughs> the reoccurring carrots <laughs> the uh, um terrifying gremlin child with the carrot uh, it's like a an um, excellent visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really established the tone, like right off the bat, that this is grim comedy, mm-hmm. but but you don't take it seriously. Very yeah, kind of like it, slapstick. Right, it's super like cartoony. I mean, obviously it's a cartoon, but like the visuals are so stylized, um, like. Jesper is so like insanely thin. Like his his feet are just like sticks. Like <laughs> he he turns into a stick figure at like the ankle. Um, <laughs> and then like the people who are big are like huge. Like Klaus is giant uh pumpkin and the son of the other family uh are just like ogres like (laughs) yeah they really uh, are it is it's a very like cartoonish extremes of uh character design which works super well also it's a beautifully animated movie yes absolutely beautifully animated the art direction is great even though you described stick thin guy with sticks for feet and then large hulking characters, they all fit really well together. Mm-hmm. So many of the visuals and the character designs remind me of like classic archetypes. Um, what's his face? Uh, Mr. Ellenbow, the head of the the red haired family. He kept reminding me of characters from different movies, but also the um, Hercules DeVito. Oh, uh, Phil. Phil Octetes. Yeah, Yeah, like just parallels to existing characters. It's very familiar. He's got a real uh, mayor of Halloween Town from um, Nightmare Before Christmas vibe. 
Mm, I haven't watched that in so long. I haven't either, but I play a lot of Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just all that to say that the art is unique, but pulls from so much familiar imagery. Yeah, and this is such a... This is like an extremely cliched thing to say. And it's only... <laughs> It's not even like a hundred percent true in this film because it it is sort of a blend. But like I miss like traditional animation in film so much, which this is mostly like it's digital, but it's mostly like traditional animation with CGI mostly like computer stuff mostly being like lighting effects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it just looks very nice. There is something special about hand-drawn animation. And I think they really got the best of both worlds with the, the CG lighting effects. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it works really, really well. I just, I don't, I just, I like looking at nice art. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know, there's... It just feels like every, like, you know, 3D animated movie from, like, DreamWorks and Disney and Illumination, like, they all just sort of, like, look the same. And I, uh, yeah, I just like traditional animation a lot, and there's not enough of it. agree with that. It's obviously much more nuanced, but when I think of visually interesting and unique animated films in recent history it's the spider-verse films it's mm-hmm. puss in boots last wish it's this movie klaus oh i think there's a couple others but i mean yeah the rest just kind of blur together in the the typical 3d art style yeah yeah spider-verse is a is a good example of like a modern or you know uh, something that breaks that trend it has a, a very distinct look of its own mm-hmm. um what's the there's also that studio that i can't is it Leica that did like kubo and the two strings oh i've been meaning to watch that oh i really like kubo and the two strings talk about later yeah it's um it's so pretty <laughs> uh i mean you know it's it's stop motion, which is just like in such an impressive uh, medium, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And also um, there's like I, I think there's a lot of stuff that there's stuff about the movie that like doesn't totally work for me. But the the ending like really, really works for me. Of Kubo or Klaus? Of Kubo. Okay. Um, and I like it a lot. But yes. Anyway, we can talk about that another time. Klaus. <laughs> Klaus. On the topic of art, while we're still in that realm, the the set pieces and the atmosphere is just really good. I need to find more words than really good. But great. Do you remember when great, fantastic, stupendous? Um when <laughs> when Jesper first walks into uh basically like the fish butchering building. It was not its original purpose, but when he walks in there, it is just filled to the brim with with details and fish and and just <laughs> it, it creates this really kind of claustrophobic 
grim environment. And it does a really good job of it. That's how I describe myself in my uh, like Tinder profile. Full of details oh. and fish. <laughs> <laughs> so really, you should be on plenty of fish. <laughs> if you were using any of no. those apps. <laughs> yeah, if I were if I were gonna be on a on a dating website, it would obviously be Christian Mingle. But <laughs> all right, I'm done. <laughs> so it's not gonna get any better than that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what were what were some environments that release? Uh, Klaus's workshop. Uh, not. Not just after it's like remodeled um, and looks really nice, but even the initial visits there uh, when it's kind of like run down and not seeing a lot of use. I think in both cases, it's really uh, evocative of like the character and where he's at personally, Mm -hmm. uh, which I really enjoy. Yeah. I agree with that. He's an interesting guy. I really liked seeing the friendship develop between Jesper and Klaus. I think it's like done very organically and very well. I feel like we might have talked before and I don't remember if it was on a podcast or just like while we were chatting, but the oh no yeah it was it was when we were talking about kings of the wild and mm-hmm. moog and uh matrix friendship and how like you it just does a very good job of establishing this like sense of friendship between the two of them and it you don't necessarily need like a ton of specific moments about like how good of friends they've become it you just sort of like see via like montage and stuff how the two of them like start to actually enjoy what they're doing delivering these presents i mean klaus enjoys it the whole time but like you see jesper start to actually enjoy it and like just seeing the little bits of dialogue between them like when klaus like laughs in front of jesper for the first time Mm -hmm. or when they give the sled to the little girl. Um, Margu. Yeah, Margu. I may not be pronouncing that correctly, but yeah, her. And uh, Klaus like recognizes that Jesper is like starting to understand the appeal of, of giving the gifts and stuff. Like there's just these like small moments and they don't, I don't know. It feels very like subtle, but well done. I I did think it was a little cheap. Like I don't, this is just how like movies work structurally. Like there's got to be you know the big thing yeah. right before the climax that causes problems. Yeah, I thought it was like a little cheap in this one because like he's pretty upfront when he first gets there about the fact that he like doesn't want to be there and isn't like really in this like to be nice and and all that like Jesper's not 
But then, like, when it's revealed that, like, ah, if he gets the he got the six thousand letters, so now he can leave or whatever, like everybody just like immediately turns on him. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like he could just say, well, yeah, I didn't like it when I moved here, but that was like 12 months ago. And now I like it and I think I'll just stay. (laughs) And everybody like I think everybody would just be like, oh, yeah, okay, Like, yeah, that makes sense. Especially the teacher being mad at him when it's like, yeah, 12 months ago, you were saying the same shit. <laughs> like, yeah. That is probably. No, yeah, I, I felt that. And I had to just suspend disbelief. Like you said, it's the way yeah. movies work. They needed something. And it like it, it works, but it is one of those movie things where you're like, if you spend two minutes talking about it, mm-hmm. it's not an issue. Thankfully, they kind of did that. Like, Jesper had his moment where he decides to choose Smearinsburg over going home. You know, he's on, or about to be on the ferry to leave. And he has his moment of like, yes, this is definitely where I want to be right now. And then they basically make up immediately after that. Yeah. Speaking of the ferry, um... The Mogans, I think his name is the boat captain. Yeah, Mogans is uh, is voiced by Norm Macdonald, who I love. So that was a nice surprise. And he's such a great character. (laughs) He's delightful in his miserable way. Yes. Uh, Norm Macdonald is a very good casting choice for this character. Yeah, the um. The ferryman is just this reoccurring, reoccurring guy from early on who's just giving Jesper a hard time throughout the entire movie, but in like a kind of a loving way. Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) (laughs) To tangent a little bit, he's like a comedian that I wasn't like super familiar with. Like I knew who he was, but hadn't like actually seen much of his material um, outside of like clips from when he was on SNL and stuff like that um, until like the last couple of years, uh, which like he died a few years ago. And uh, yeah, just like the more I've the more I've watched of his stuff, the more I like him. He's very much my style of humor. Um, he's extremely good at like my favorite kind of joke, uh, which is like the shaggy dog joke where you have an extremely long and complicated setup to a punchline that's not worth it at all. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah, he's very, he's very good at those. um, And he's just like, I don't know that he's, he's just weird, (laughs) you know, in a way that I enjoy. I also, I, I think I've talked before about the fact that I really like lying to people about like really absurd stuff and just like seeing how long I can get away with it, like with a straight face. And, um, he was, he also did stuff like that. Like there's some great clips from his, um, podcast where he's just like, we'll have to cut this part because, uh, I'm about to bring up Hitler. And, uh, last time that went, <laughs> Keep doing that. but yeah, there's just this great bit where, so yeah, Mogan's, Norm MacDonald, great combination. I really enjoyed that. 
throughout, I don't know, the first 20 or so minutes of this movie, it does not feel like a Christmas movie. It does not feel like a Santa Claus movie. Yeah. Even when you see Klaus for the first time, you're like, okay, like he is, of course, the Santa Claus figure in the story, but you don't really see it at first. Right. Because he's, he's just some lonely older woodsman who has the the body of a hulking tree just, just built. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I really enjoyed is like the slow buildup of these Santa fables and the kind of subtle Christmas magic through the swirling snow that we later realize represents his wife. Yeah. It's very clever in how it goes about building like the myths behind Santa and makes it very obvious like where the idea to base it around postal service uh like originates um because it totally makes sense like once it starts going you get like oh of course this is why like a post office makes sense for like the main setting because everybody you know every kid writes letters to santa Mm -hmm. um i certainly did i got in trouble as a child because i got a marker and wrote my list on my bedroom wall um how was that gonna get to santa i don't know man (laughs) it's gonna be too late if he's like trying to deliver presents to your room and sees your list and he's like ah shit (laughs) (laughs) this man wants gundam and digimon and horror movies this man i guess you're a child (laughs) no this was a couple years ago Um, but yeah, just like from the letter writing in general to like there being the one kid that's an asshole to Jesper, so he like doesn't leave the presents and puts the coal in the stocking. Um, all that stuff is is great. I also I the one thing I sort of wish. You, you we never see what like Klaus's reaction to any of that is like I wonder how he would feel about some of the stuff Jesper like says about him to the children especially because like so much like Klaus's repeated thing is that like a true act of selflessness is always like always sparks another or whatever yep. um so I wish we could see more of his reaction to things like Jesper saying, you know, he can see you at all times and he knows if you're being bad and won't give you presents or whatever. Like it, it's somewhat implied that he knows about that stuff because like Jesper says in conversation to him at one point that like, they're only being good so that they can get presents from you or whatever. And Klaus is just like, yeah, but whatever, it's still good. So he must like, he must sort of generally know, uh, or have some idea, but I wonder if he just like thinks it's funny or what. I get the sense that Klaus is quietly aware of more than he lets on. Mm-hmm. He, like at the beginning, he is dead silent. 
super quiet and he warms up and starts talking more. But I think throughout, he's probably pretty observant and just kind of like putting up with Jesper. You know, so long as he believes that Jesper's in it for the right reasons, which was not the case initially. But I'm I'm guessing during one of the the visits um, that Jesper makes toward the end of the movie, they probably laugh about it. And yeah, gotta gotta make sure that Klaus is aware for the future of Santa Claus, these traditions. Right. But I don't want to talk about the ending yet. <laughs> uh, I also want to mention um, this. This movie has a fucking great voice cast because Klaus is voiced by another one of my all-time favorite actors, J.K. Simmons. Yeah. So distinct. I mean, he makes his performances unique, but you he opens his mouth and you know that is J.K. Simmons. Yes. Have you, uh, have you ever seen Burn After Reading? No. <laughs> He's, he has a very small part in that movie. Um, but it's it's extremely funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get into a whole tangent about that. I like Coen Brothers movies because I'm a very stereotypical film nerd. And uh, yeah, Burn After Reading, super weird, very funny. The, the ending of that movie is fantastic. And it's uh, due in large part to J.K. Simmons' performance in it. Naturally. He also weird fun fact so i've never met jk simmons but uh the town i grew up in he apparently had family in and so he would like visit my hometown sometimes and you missed it yeah i never ran into him myself but he would like go to like church on Sunday and like eat at like the diet, the one diner in town. Like I had friends who like waited tables at the diner who like have pictures with JK Simmons and stuff. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, and for what it's worth, uh, never heard a bad word about him. Everybody always said he was super, super nice and cool. That's great. Not a never meet your heroes moment. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. But yeah, the voice cast, I have no complaints. Every every voiced character sounds great. And on that note, Margu, um, I really hope I'm pronouncing that right, is a member of the the Sami people, the indigenous Norwegian people. And her voice actress, uh, they like flew out to her and she didn't and maybe still doesn't speak English, and they just did this like single single session or single day recording jam with her and just kind of worked through it and got her lines and had all this I assume good Sami people representation with that whole the whole village and I guess that's super cool yeah I guess they were originally gonna have all of those people's lines in English and then decided not to and actually let them you know speak their indigenous language which I thought was good and I Got to learn about those people, which I wouldn't have otherwise realized about. <laughs> yeah. Know. Don't know where that sentence went. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's really cool. I like their hats. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently those are pretty, pretty close to what their hats actually look like. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very colorful outfits. Mm-hmm. Tangentially related. The, um... Like we're talking about the myths of Santa, 
everything just works. Like the whole movie start to finish lines up so beautifully. Like it, everything just makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the concept of Santa having helpers usually depicted as elves in this case were the Sami people. And they just, they just kind of come in as a response to that sled being built for her and are now Santa's helpers, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting interpretation of that. Yeah. I feel like there's one character we haven't touched on that much, but I can't remember her name now. Alva? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The fish butcher slash school teacher. Yes. I liked her a lot. Yeah, I liked her a lot too. How did you feel about them like being a couple at the end? Do you feel like that was earned or weirdly tacked on? I was not bothered by it. There are a lot of movies where you see two leads of the opposite gender and they somehow have this romantic interest, even though the movie has nothing to do with romance or it's purely based on circumstance. Like we went through something harrowing together. So now we're in love. Um, but this, I felt, it just felt fine. Like it worked. Yeah. That was my, that was my reaction too. I only, uh, I only asked because I saw, I was looking, reading up on the movie a little bit after watching it and saw some people complain that it like felt unnecessary or whatever. But I agree. It was like the second they meet, you just like, it's again, it's like, this is just a movie thing. Like this is, you know that they're going to get together because that's how this kind of movie works. Yeah. It's not like a, it's not a major part of the movie. So it like, it doesn't feel like it is detracting from the overall plot in any way. Um, yeah. It's like, it's not a, it's not an ongoing thing throughout the movie. There's like some briefly kind of flirty moments, but it, yeah, it's just an ending, but Oh yeah. They're like, they're one of the few, they're one of, aside from them, there are not many other people who aren't part of the Ellenbow or Crumb families. So it's kind of yeah. like if they're gonna, I mean, they could obviously get with someone from those families, but. But yeah. why would you? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're all a bit strange. The The next generation seems like they'll be okay, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, circumstantially it does feel like the only choice yeah absolutely and if you if you want to stay in this town because you now find it charming and you've helped uplift it most people a lot of people companionship and children they want a family so that would be a compelling reason to leave unless you could find someone locally who would fulfill those desires so it all makes sense yeah basically what we're saying is that it's a loveless purely transactional marriage but we're fine with that (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and they have classic cartoon logic children where they're like, here's the Jesper child and here's the Alva child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, it's good. They, they're cool. And I, I thought Alva's arc was smart. was good. Yeah. Her sort of like regaining her passion for teaching and stuff. Yeah. But it, they didn't give it to you all at once they weren't like here's Mm -hmm. the the switch has been flipped there was a scene like we've established that she has this stashed away piggy bank of money to get off this godforsaken island because like she was going to teach but then realized all these kids are monsters and nobody actually wants to learn because they're all 
busy fighting each other. And so she starts butchering fish and making money that way. But we see her, after she's kind of, you know, gotten some of her compassion back, reach to spend some of that money on the kids and on learning supplies. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't. She pulls away. She stops and closes her piggy bank again, which I I thought was good because she didn't immediately, like, go spend all of her savings because her passion had been reignited. It took time. Yeah. I also um, thought it was a little weird, though, that when she first meets Jasper, um, she's like, oh, I fucking hate you um, because you betrayed me when we were smugglers together. And then in a scene like literally five minutes later, she was like, but here, have my pass off the island. Uh that is my one opportunity to get out of here before the Empire attacks. Um, I suddenly like you enough to sacrifice this for you. Are we still talking about the same? <laughs> this is a this is a Rise of Skywalker joke. Ah, uh, uh, but this that didn't. There was no parallels to that, right? No. Okay. <laughs> it's All just right. that they're both female characters who have a lot of money to get off of. The place uh, where they are stuck. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I get you. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Are you saying one was done well and the other wasn't? I think they're both perfect films. I just meant that one character. <laughs> wasn't going to go as far <laughs> as to say the whole film. <laughs> uh, we really... Do we need... I think we need a new Rise of Skywalker episode. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know. If I mean, our last one, one was on a dead podcast, so. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> but yeah, Alva, great. Yeah. Spunky. Yes, she is great. Who? Not not spunky. Tenacious. That's the word I want. Who's, who's, who's her voice actor? I've been crediting voice actors this whole time. I don't want to leave one out. Is it, is it Joan Cusack? Yeah. Okay. You know, I wanted to say that so badly because I had been looking at voice actors earlier, but I was like, no, isn't that some guy? No. Okay. It's not Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack is the um, the matriarch of the Crumb family. That's why that's why I hesitated when I first said it, because I was like, Rashida. Yes, it's it's Rashida Jones. There we go. Yes. Um, I apologize to Joan Cusack for just calling her some guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for some reason that name is there a is there a guy yeah, the, uh, yeah 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 please tell me his name's john i think it is yeah okay yeah. <laughs> not insane there's a perfectly <laughs> logical explanation yeah i think they're i think they're like brother and sister oh the plot thickens <laughs> <laughs> and they're the children of dick cusack apparently most people are children of dicks. Uh, he, in case you're wondering, uh, he was an American <laughs> actor, filmmaker, and documentarian. So, Hollywood royalty, the Cusacks. Uh, I think that was one of her first uh, voice acting roles. Oh, yeah, probably. I can't think of, I can't think of much else that she's voiced. Voice yeah, acted. And I'm, I'm not talking about Joan Cusack. <laughs> no, I know, I know. You're talking about Rashida Jones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think she did great, so. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, Rashida Jones is, is cool. I like Rashida Jones. She's all right in my book, Sarah. So, 
Okay, so yeah, this this movie has been about Jesper trying to get children to write letters with postage to Klaus, and he will deliver presents to them. Also, that Jesper can get 6,000 letters uh, goal of, of mail sent. But we haven't really... We haven't really talked all that much about Klaus and his story and kind of how that ties into the ending. Yeah. Um, just as an aside, because I think it's funny that I I just joked about the Cusacks being Hollywood royalty because uh, their dad was like a filmmaker or whatever. Um, Rashida Jones, that's like a literal case of like her her family is like deep Hollywood folks not not trying to say that she's like a what do people call them on tiktok now nepo babies not accusing her of that because she's a great actress but she like legit has like deep hollywood connections in her family just a fun fact not relevant to anything she's cool i like her she was in parks and rec oh okay haven't watched it it's good eventually the first (laughs) season and a half pretty rough (laughs) Klaus. What did you think of Klaus? Um, I mean, what's not to love, right? He's gentle. He's hot. He's voiced by J.K. Simmons. Like, he's everything you want in a man. He can tear a log apart. He can just build a birdhouse with, like, one swing of his axe and three hand motions. Right? It's great. Yeah, I, I thought Klaus was a was an interesting character. It, it takes uh, Sad Man Dead Wife and, you know, just... <laughs> Just makes it, I don't know, feel more natural, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, a uh, like you said, or, you know, as, as you're kind of alluding to, like, it's a fairly, like, cliched backstory, but it works really well. A lonely woodsman. He had hopes of having a family, having children with his wife, and this is, I think, the most insane part of the movie to me he started making toys for his future children which you know if you make a few that makes sense but then they clearly had trouble conceiving and he just kept making toys in the hopes of like one day he would have a child to give them to to the point where like his entire home was just filled with (laughs) with beautifully crafted toys that never saw the light of day like he was not a toy maker by trade Right, yeah. He just made a shit ton of toys up until the point that his wife died. We can infer from the number of, like, from the progress that Jesper makes on his, like, uh, road to 6,000 letters chalk drawing thing, that Klaus, even before the movie, had made, like, thousands of toys. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't, for most of the movie, he's not making any new toys. He's just giving right. away the toys he already has. Yeah. But anyway, suspension of disbelief. It sort of begs the question, though. It never occurred to you to give them to the children on the island before this? <laughs> like, you know, like once your wife died, you would think that maybe he would just be like, well, I guess I'm not going to need these toys. I'll give them to all of the kids here. (laughs) Now, to be fair, everyone in that village up until the point where the children have a change of heart, they're just little shits. So, I mean, 
I understand not wanting to give anyone those toys, <laughs> but, but no, yeah, I absolutely had that thought. I want that. I want that frog. Right. It's like the very first toy that he gives in the movie. Yeah, that was a beautiful moment. I believe Fran described the frog as having a life of its own. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's, it just like not not in a, a whimsical kind of way, but she meant like like in a child's play. Like, <laughs> like how is this frog doing that? Like you're expecting the frog to suddenly speak with the voice of, uh, God damn it! Why can't I think of his name? Never mind. The joke's ruined. <laughs> it's going to be a recurring theme this episode. Uh, the guy that voices Chucky in Child's Play. I love that guy. Why can't I think of his name? I have to, I have to Google an actor real quick. Yep. You're expecting the frog to suddenly speak with the voice of Brad Dourif? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking, especially since I'm very familiar with that actor. <laughs> Oh man, quick, uh, quick sidebar, real quick. Since I mentioned Brad Dourif, um, I just want to. So, uh, just a quick horror movie recommendation. Uh, if if you're if you're like me and you're not a big Christmas guy and you want to watch scary movies instead, check out The Exorcist Three. You would think, you know. The third movie in the Exorcist franchise, when you've probably really only ever heard of the first one, probably going to be terrible, right? Mm-hmm. And if you were talking about any other movie in the franchise except Exorcist 3, you would be right. They're all pretty bad. Exorcist 3, really fucking good. Brad Dourif is in it, and he's great. Do I, do I being anyone, need to watch the first two? I would say no. Um, like... Uh, you probably should watch the first one because it is the Exorcist three is actually like a pretty direct sequel in terms of like so Exorcist is about like the possessed girl Reagan. Right. Um, and the priest sort of overseeing her exorcism, Father Karras. Uh, Exorcist three is following like a cop who was a uh, uh, Lieutenant Kinderman, I think his name is, who was like friends with Father Karras in the first movie. So it's like not it's not super tied in, but like you kind of need to know like who Father Karras was, at least. It's fucking good, though. It's very good. Also, since we're talking about uh, horror movies briefly, got to work in my Scream reference right here. There we go. Now it's done. Back to Klaus. Uh, that wasn't even a reference, but we we can... You scream. Said, <laughs> I don't think Brad Dourif has ever been in a scream, unfortunately. There we go. That's, that's, he would certainly elevate it. There we go. We're on track now. Where the fuck were we? Six degrees of separation. I can get us back on track. Brad Dourif was in the episode of The X-Files called Beyond the Sea, where he played possibly psychic serial killer Luther Lee Boggs. That episode... Again, called Beyond the Sea, prominently features the song Beyond the Sea. You know the one from the Bioshock commercials. Smearinsburg is on an island beyond the sea. We are back to Klaus. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. Uh, that was a totally logical train of thought. Uh, yeah, so so they gave away literally all of Klaus's toys. 
had to build more. Yeah, uh, Jesper almost leaves the island and then he comes back and they have a... Well, there's that fake out of things are about to go horribly wrong, but then they have a successful Christmas holiday and deliver all the toys and stuff. Yeah, I did. I liked that whole thing very much where there's the big chase of the uh, two evil families um, trying to destroy all of the presents and then ultimately succeeding. And Klaus just being like, yeah, we knew they were going to do that. (laughs) Like, these were fake. It's fine. Also, again, this is like this isn't something that actually bothered me because like it's a cartoon Christmas movie, like suspension of disbelief. It's fine. Um, But I do not think that even if they had been successful, that plan was going to work out well for those two families. (laughs) Like their goal is like, we'll destroy all the presents and then they won't like Klaus anymore. And we'll go back to fighting all the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you, you're not going to like kill Klaus. Like that's not, doesn't seem to be part of your plan or like Jesper or Alva or like the large group of Sami people who were also helping. Like, do you really think that your kids aren't going to just like be told by Jesper or whatever that like, yeah, no, like your grandma fucked everything up. <laughs> like, yeah, they have great report with the children. <laughs> right, like, I, I don't think those kids are going to be mad at Klaus. <laughs> Seems like a great reason for them to band together. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did love Alva's little explanation of why this all makes sense. She's like, children talk and, you know... I listened and I heard some stuff about what the families were planning and that's how we decided to wrap all these pieces of wood instead of presents. Tried to sabotage us, it would be wood that got destroyed. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that checks out. Mm-hmm. She didn't She didn't use all those words. It was a much shorter explanation, but very simple smoothing over of that plot point. Yeah, for sure. Also, Jesper just absolutely desperate and... Klaus being apathetic while Jesper's, you know, about to about to get murdered on the sleigh ride. Yeah. It was good. <laughs> the tiny sled on pumpkin. Yes. Oh gosh. Such great visual comedy all throughout the movie. For sure. Alright, how much did you cry at the ending? Uh I got I think I I think I had a couple tears. Which is a stunning display of emotion for me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure men are only supposed to like do like the one one tear and one eye. Yeah. See, if I'm reading a book and I'm by myself, then I will like sob uncontrollably at certain stuff. Like I've mentioned before, like there are passages in uh, like Night Watch mm-hmm. that will like I can't even like quote them out because I will just start crying and it will be uh, embarrassing for me. But like if I'm in if I'm watching a movie with like my wife in the room, then I have a weird (sighs) completely unfounded because it's not like she would like give me shit for it. Um, But, you know, I'm a I'm a boy who grew up in the 90s. So uh, I have I force myself to like show no emotion at this scene. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I get that. I um. 
I totally support everyone being able to cry, even for like silly things, right? If if the situation is appropriate, like, you know, watching a movie. I hate crying, so I will you mm-hmm. know, avoid it, uh, especially around other people, even Fran, just because crying is terrible. But everyone should do it, except for me. Yeah. <laughs> I made a terrible mistake at work a couple weeks ago. I've been, my wife and I have been getting back into Doctor Who. And there's like two specific scenes in Doctor Who that like get a very like emotional reaction from me. And I was uh, I was bored at work. So I was like looking at random Doctor Who stuff on my phone and I ended up like reading uh, this like speech that uh, the 12th Doctor makes that like always gets me. And then I had to like. (laughs) <laughs> be like what are you what are you doing like you're at your job what if someone walks into your office <laughs> <clears throat> yeah i mean y- yeah exactly you don't want to yeah I you. can you imagine how <laughs> fucking traumatizing it would be for your boss to be like oh are you okay and to have to be like yeah i was just i was just reading a doctor who quote <laughs> about <Right>. kindness <laughs> Because on on so many levels, that's like, well, you're reading Doctor Who quotes at work and also crying, (laughs) which I like to reiterate is okay. He has this really good talk in the Saigon inversion, and it's so good. He's in so much pain from the time war. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a I have a similar thing that gets me every time. Uh, Maybe I've mentioned it before. Avatar Last Airbender. Uncle Iroh, mm. Luten, fine. Yeah, just that. I mean, I can be reading about it. I can see a picture of that tree. I can hear the song. Any combination of those things that I'm just like teary-eyed. But yeah, no, the, um, the, the end of the movie, I had already watched this movie a couple years ago. Forgot exactly how it ended. Sad. Bittersweet sad. But yeah, I, I teared up a little bit. Yeah. It's um, not to get like too maudlin, but uh, the I talked in an episode that I've lost track of our. The only other one we have is the Bloody Rose episode that needs needs to be edited. Okay, so that'll be out after this episode is out and listened to. I talk in that one about like addiction stories and why like they are extremely effective to me. And in a similar way, I'm like, (laughs) uh, I really like my wife. I'm very fond of the person that I married. That's good. Um, And stuff where like someone has like a dead spouse, Mm -hmm. um, particularly like if they lost them like fairly young. Um, is another thing that like fucks me up because I 100% am just like, yeah, I, I like, I don't know what I would do. Like I, it would go very badly for me. Um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is like pretty common among married people. Um, a pretty common sentiment, but yeah. So like him, you know, going to be with his wife, like, he says 
something to that effect, like before he like disappears or whatever. Um, definitely like tugged my heartstrings a lot. Yeah, that's that's the part that there were two parts. So that happened. He's chopping wood as an old old man, still able to chop wood like it's nothing, and the snow is swirling. And he steps toward it and the camera like pans across a tree so he's blocked out of view and then it's just snow falling where he was. That got me, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was starting to tear up. And then there was some time where I think Jesper was like narrating and talking about his family and living in Smearnsburg and whatnot. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine now. And then it gets to the last line where he's like, and now once a year I get to see my friend again and you hear sleigh bells and I'm just like... Fuck off, Jesper. (laughs) (laughs) I was fine. Yeah. That's the... That's... To take it all the way back to the beginning, like, that's... That's what It's a Wonderful Life does to me. (laughs) Like, I... I don't like it almost the whole way through, and then I see the No Man is a Failure Who Has Friends line, and I'm always like, Damn it, Clarence! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's effective, because... Throughout the rest of the movie, there's nothing really all that sad other than, you know, seeing Klaus has lost his wife and the, the snow swirling and him being driven and motivated by that. Because all, all throughout the movie, he, Klaus is being given direction by the, the spirit or will of his dead wife and he follows it. He's like, OK, this is clearly the right thing to do. But that's the only element of sadness until we get to the end. And then it's just like, here's two gun punches. Mm hmm. So what would you want in a sequel? <laughs> sequel? No. <laughs> I would not like a sequel. Maybe maybe another movie by the same, like largely the same group of people, but maybe about another fable or myth that people Easter are widely familiar with. Yeah, no. <laughs> hit all the hit all the hit all the holidays. Not that one. Spirit of Labor Day. Like a like a collection of loosely related movies. Um no sequel. Yeah, this is a good movie. Thank you for bringing it up as a topic because I, I like my wife watched it when it came out and liked it. Um, but like I said, like I don't normally get like particularly festive, so it was just like not really on my radar until you brought it up as like a good holiday movie and it was holiday times. So we were like, just be a good thing to watch and talk about, and it was. Yeah, and what's really appealing about it, for anyone listening who has made it this far but hasn't actually watched it, it is not at all a traditional feeling Christmas movie. It is, Mm -hmm. like, not at all. And that, I think, makes it charming and approachable for people who aren't super into Christmas. Agreed. Yeah, that's a big part, I think, of why it clicked so much for me, is, like, it's not... It doesn't have that, like, I don't know, like, schmaltzy feel that, like, a lot of holiday stuff has. Mm -hmm. Um, I do wish it talked a little bit more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for whom the season exists. Oh, yeah, yeah. But no mentions of, uh, no mentions of religion whatsoever in this movie, uh, which is A-OK in my book. Yeah, I, th- I think the bell is the religion. Taco live, Bell? Live by the bell. No, the fighting bell. Oh, the bell in the middle of the town. Right. The battle is, bell. 
that is something we did not touch on, and I will just say it briefly. Them walking through the histories of their family and it ending in the like caveman painting of them fighting yeah. each other. <laughs> that got me. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that more or less covers it, right? Yeah, I think so. What's the favoritest thing that you have got or given to someone this holiday season? This holiday season? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird. Uh, my birthday is a week before Christmas. So I've mostly... Like, all of my gifts are sort of jumbled up. <laughs> like, I... People generally just give me everything at once. Like the people who are who give me gifts are usually just like like my wife and I don't like wait for the holiday to actually come. We just like it gets to be December and we're like, oh, we should order each other's, you know, we should get each other's Christmas gifts. And then like as soon as they arrive or we get back from the store or whatever, we're just like, well, here you go. I'm not going to make you wait until December 25th. Uh, but yeah, all of that, all of that is a long way of saying my, uh, my wife, I think the best thing I've gotten so far this year, uh, is that my wife got me, uh, the Marvel United Spider-Geddon expansion, uh, which is a board game that I really like. And this particular expansion is super, super good. It's got a bunch of spider people, which I enjoy um the minis are all really nice it adds some new gameplay stuff in the form of equipment um and it's just like a really good little box especially if you like spider-man which i do a very fitting gift very ethan yeah she also got me um the jonathan colton album artificial heart on vinyl which uh i have listened to like half a dozen times already um Hanging out in our office with my record player. Um, nice. Solid gift. Uh, what about you? Related to that, Fran got How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful on vinyl. So that's that's cool. Florence and the Machine. Nice. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that. I just opened it the other day. We're not going to like actually be here for Christmas. So normally we wait until Christmas Eve, but this year we're like, whatever throughout the months been giving things to each other but i think the 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 best gift was um an espresso machine it's like one of the Ooh. basic ones i've for a while now had trouble just drinking regular coffee even with cream and sugar in it so i tend toward like lattes and stuff which means going out somewhere and getting lots of sugar and spending money on it. so this yeah is dangerous <laughs> it is so dangerous it is it's lattes on demand um, <laughs> which is already problematic but the life hell yeah have you watched meet the robinsons yes okay coffee <laughs> that's all i have to say
Well, then, can I get you a cot or something? Nope! I've got the caffeine patch! Each patch is the equivalent of 12 cups of coffee. You can stay awake for days with no side effects. Ah! Sorry.